great singing. Please be seated. So before we jump into our overview tonight, I just want to draw your attention to some resources we have for the Christmas season uh, for you to be aware of, but also to utilize as an invitation to your friends, family members, neighbors. Uh, We have many of these little cards that we have prepared, beautiful cards that have all the uh, details for all the services and events that we'll be holding here uh, in the well, the carol services, everything if you were here this morning that we reviewed. Please grab as many of these as you will use uh, to share with people and invite them. There's also these wonderful uh, posters that you can grab as well and put in your window. If you're one of the uh, Advent Trail windows, this should be up there already anyway. Uh, but if you'd like to put one of these up in, in, in your window, wherever you could, uh, so that people can make use of them and, and be aware of what's happening, that would be fantastic. So those are available uh, in the cafe as you leave here today as well. And I'm just going to switch a cable here for us so that we can uh, jump into our Bible overview this works. Hey, it works. Fantastic. So we are continuing our journey through, now we are into the New Testament, and we have been, as I said earlier, tracing the story of Scripture, the overall overarching theme, uh, looking at it through the lens of the kingdom of God. We've been working through each of these, and uh, tonight we can see we're on the second to last And uh, the proclaimed kingdom will be wrapping up next week, hopefully being able to uh, give you an idea of what we'll be doing for training and equipping in the new year next Sunday as well. That's a little tease to have you come back next week. Anyway, so we're looking at the proclaimed kingdom. And so we're going to expand a little bit our chart that we have been looking at tonight. We've been uh, working our way through. It's a little strangely formatted. Sorry about that. I don't know why it's doing that. Um, but we last week saw that we got to the point of the present kingdom with the arrival of Jesus, his birth, his life, demonstrating that uh, in all aspects, Jesus, um, all those aspects of the kingdom of God that we foreshadowed in the Old Testament of God's people in God's place, uh, living under God's rule and blessing under his king, uh, they all find their fulfillment in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Just by way of quick review, we demonstrated uh, that he is the true Israel. Remember, we walked through his temptation in the, in the wilderness by Satan and how where Israel had failed in the Old Testament, Jesus remained faithful. We looked at the dynamic that Jesus is uh, the true tabernacle and temple. He is God's place, that he is where we come now to meet with God. And uh, you remember the interaction with the woman at the well where he says the time is coming when worshipers will worship God in spirit and in truth neither here nor in Jerusalem Um, we looked at how Jesus is the king and source of all blessings for us to live under God's rule and blessing in 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 the new covenant and so with his coming the kingdom of God comes on earth it is present we're going to expand on that tonight a little bit if you recall though we, we went into the Gospels, we saw in, in Mark and in Matthew um, how with the arrival of Jesus, the message was the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, depending on which Gospel you're reading, has come near. And if you read through the Gospels, you will note um, the authority with which Jesus is teaching 
and his miraculous ministry was associated, the authority of the kingdom. Just open quickly in your Bibles to note this to Luke chapter 11. Before we jump into what exactly the proclaimed kingdom is tonight, looking at the present kingdom just briefly once again in Luke chapter 11, starting at verse 14, um, I won't read all of this, but as you scan it with me, you have Jesus, he's driving out, uh, he's been driving out demons. And the critics of Jesus uh, said to them, well, it's basically by Satan's power, Beelzebub's power, the prince of demons, that he's driving out demons. And in verse 17, uh, Jesus reacts, knowing their thoughts, and he says to them, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fail, fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? He says, I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebub, that's Satan. Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive, here's the key. If I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. And so in the life and ministry of Jesus, as we see the power of God on display through his life, Jesus says that is evidence of the fact that the kingdom of God is present. It is there now with his arrival on the earth. And so that's where we ended up in our time last week. We briefly touched on this, but what I'd like us to look at now is the whole idea of looking at how this kingdom has come, that really we've been working towards the climax of the whole story. Um, if you go over, you know, track a story or, or, or a book with your children in, um, in their schoolwork, if you remember from when you were younger, you know, there's the build-up to the climax. And we have been building up to the climax from the Old Testament to this point, and that point of climax is found at the cross. That is the pivot point, the pivotal moment and event toward which all things have been building up. Remember we said the, the, the Bible is broken into two parts of promise in the Old Testament and fulfillment in the New. And when we come to the cross of Jesus, it is that pivotal moment and event toward which all things build and from which now everything is going to be moving towards its ultimate completion. The tone of the Bible changes with the arrival of Jesus and the cross. Everything to this point has been foreshadowing and promise, and now we have reality dawning in, in the world of the kingdom, the present kingdom. And so the cross, as we looked, is where the justice and mercy of God converge, right? Where Jesus dying as a perfect substitute, this is where we looked in the Old Testament, if you remember God providing a substitute, that when he died on the cross, he absorbed and satisfied the wrath of God on our behalf so that he could justly offer amnesty to people who had said no to living under his rule and entrance into his kingdom to those who trust in what he did for them at the cross. That satisfaction of God's wrath. There's a big Bible word, theological word for it. It's called propitiation. It is God's wrath, his just response to our sins satisfied. Remember several weeks ago, Sam mentioned how in the prophets, the major message of the prophets was judgment and hope. 
God's judgment on sin and hope. And those things meet in the person of Jesus Christ at the cross. I would like for you to turn now uh, to Acts chapter 20, uh, Acts chapter 2. And we're going to look at uh, verse 22. And I want you to see now how, uh, if we could go through all of Acts chapter 2, it would be phenomenal, but we don't have time for it tonight. Because I know there are some of you who are going to be watching your phones and seeing how close to 7 I will come tonight before kickoff starts. So anyway, um, Acts chapter 2 is this wonderful transition. We had the, the present kingdom in the Gospels. Now transitioning, the book of Acts is a, is a book of transitions. And in Acts chapter 2, we have this transition from the old and what was promised and foreshadowed, now finding its reality in Jesus and then being proclaimed out to the nations. But in Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 22, uh, Peter is speaking here and he says, Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. Now, what I want you to do as I read through this is be listening for those threads that we've been going over for the last few weeks of foreshadowing and promise in the Old Testament. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also live in hope, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see uh, decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence." Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Do you remember us talking about that? The Davidic covenant. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. We'll get to that in just a little bit. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And this is the key line. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ, Messiah, the King that was meant and promised to come to bring in the kingdom. And so here we have the present kingdom. If you go back just a page in your Bible to Acts chapter 1, there's a dynamic now that we need to capture as we move into the proclaimed kingdom. Look at Acts chapter 1 verses 1 to 11. So God, again, pulling, he brought the promises of David in there, some other things, but he's trying to draw attention that what they were seeing in Jesus and what happened at the cross, which should have been seen as a tragedy and a loss, which actually God's triumph and identifying 
uh, label, if you will, of this is my king, bringing in my kingdom. And so in, in Acts chapter 1, before all this, Jesus is meeting with his disciples, the disciples, the risen Jesus, and they're asking him in verse 6, when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so that's what we were just reading about in Acts chapter 2. This transition of the present kingdom is now going to be proclaimed to all the world starting at Jerusalem. But here's the dynamic. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky uh, as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. I always found that a pretty comical scene. I don't know if you feel that way as well. You just see the disciples standing there and these two men dressed in white stand there looking up at the sky with them. And then, then they said this, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? Here's the dynamic. This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. With Jesus' first coming, we have the kingdom come present. We see the gospel of the kingdom is going to start to be proclaimed, but here he is saying there is a dynamic where Jesus is going to leave and then come back. And when he comes back, it is to fully establish God's kingdom on this earth. This is what we'll look at next week as we look at the perfected kingdom the, the, in, its, in its entirety. But Luke's words in act point to an intentional, planned out delay in this kingdom story that we've been, that we've been tracking of God's kingdom coming fully. It is here now with the arrival of Jesus. But what he is saying in Acts and as we go throughout the New Testament is there's an aspect where it is not yet fully realized until Jesus comes back, like these two men in white <laughs> said to the disciples as they were looking up. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. You don't have to turn there. I'll read these. But it says, um, in putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. So, what is that saying? We don't see everything now under his rule as it is meant and fully to be under God's rule, but it, we will. <laughs> We will, and we see Jesus who suffered and died to accomplish that. So what we have is an intentional delay, and we don't know how long it is. If you notice what Jesus said, it's not for you to know the length of time. So that brings us to a very interesting topic, this idea that the kingdom of God is now and not yet, that there's this tension. It's arrived, but it's not fully here. And the reality is, is that means that period of waiting is the period in which we are living, and then the period with which, the point from, the perspective from which the rest of the New Testament 
is written. The rest of the New Testament is written. And so this, is, this period of time is known in the Bible as the last days. I wish I had like the music, like an organ, like dun-dun-dun, you know, for that. Something, if you hear the last days, you may think this is going, oh, this is going to go really strange. This American guy's weird. We're going to get into some like weird, all kinds of numerology. No, we're not getting into any of that. Because what we're looking at is what the New Testament calls the last days. And if you are of the stripe that you're thinking, well, we can sort of figure out the timings and all these things, Jesus himself said, you can't know, so we're not going there. That's not for us to do. Um, But there are things we are to know about this period of time that we are in called the last days. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. If you want to turn there, I'll read these, but it'll also be on the screen behind me. Paul said to Timothy, just to help you grasp how the last days are the times that began with the arrival of Jesus when he ascended until he comes back. That is the period of time that the Bible refers to as the last days and what we'll try to make clear here. So Paul said to Timothy, mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Here's the key phrase, have nothing to do with such people. So if Paul was referring to some event in the distant future, the last days, there would be no reason for him to say to Timothy, have nothing to do with such people. He was referring to the events in Timothy's own time, saying, Timothy, you're living in the last days. These are the qualities of people that will um, characterize the last days. Uh, In the book of Hebrews, it says, In the past, chapter 1, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things. Just key for us to think about here, not only does it say these are the last days with the coming of Jesus, but that means in terms of the kingdom, you know, we've seen this growing dynamic from Abraham through the partial kingdom and, you know, the prophesied kingdom. There's no expression of the kingdom past Jesus. This is it. This is the last days. It's coming in its fulfillment, but it is not going to change. It finds its fulfillment in him. We are not to look for for anything else. God has spoken by his son in these last days. Already read that verse. Sorry, it got duplicated. So this is where we are. We are living in between the now and the not yet. What the New Testament refers to as the last days. This is the... The structure, the model, if you will, of understanding now where the rest of the story goes. And a key dynamic that we need to grasp in this is the role of the Holy Spirit during this time. There is a greater emphasis on the Holy Spirit as we come to this time. Um, If you would, let me get my. Open up your Bibles to. Acts chapter 2 again. And before we go there, as we think about the in-between time, the now and the not yet, 
I uh, actually jumped ahead of my notes here, and I want us just to turn back in our Bibles to Luke chapter 24. What Jesus said his church and his disciples should be doing during this in-between time as it pertains to the proclaimed kingdom. Look at Luke chapter 24, starting at verse 45. Luke, who also wrote Acts, where we just were, writes the Gospel of Luke, and at the end of that, he says, Then he opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. He told them, This is what was written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Just like we read in Acts chapter 1. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, that's the Holy Spirit, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And so at the end of the, you know, the period of Jesus being on earth, he's died, he's ascended, he's going to be ascending into heaven, and he says that the, the role of his people, his disciples and who will follow after him, is that this gospel of the kingdom is preached to the nations. Do you remember Abraham's promise, the promise given to Abraham, that through Abraham all nations of the world would be blessed. And God bringing these, again, these threads from the Old Testament to fulfillment through the person of Jesus. He's saying, yeah, this gospel needs to go to all nations. It needs to be proclaimed to, to all nations. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20, you don't need to turn there. I will read these verses. But Jesus has said, um, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He's the king. By his death, burial, and resurrection, he has been uh, verified as that. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so again, those two passages taken in concert, Jesus is saying the gospel of the kingdom is to go to the ends of the earth, that Jesus' followers are to make disciples, followers of all nations, that the kingdom grows as people respond to Jesus. And he says this is to go on until the very end of the age. And so in this in-between time in which we live, the proclaimed kingdom is being built. And the Holy Spirit is central to that. That's where I jumped ahead. So in Acts chapter 2, where I asked you to open up to earlier, Acts chapter 2, verse 4 <clears throat> what preceded Peter's sermon where he was bringing their memories back to the Old Testament was that the people, when the Holy Spirit had come upon the disciples, they started praising God in different languages. Look at verse two, chapter, four, verse two, uh, chapter 2, verse 4. It says, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, literally in Greek languages as the Spirit enabled them. And it makes it clear this is true because in verse 11 it says, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, in our own languages. And again, you see the imagery here of the foreshadowing of what God promised Abraham. Remember, let me go back to our chart. When the kingdom perished in Genesis, one of the key events was the Tower of Babel of the people saying, let us make a name for ourselves. Let's basically rule our own world. Thank you, God, we don't need you. And God confused their languages. 
And then in Abram, he says, but then all nations of the world will be blessed. And so in the coming of Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the kingdom age, the last days, you see then this reversal of God sending his blessing to the nations as we see it now happening in Acts chapter 2. It points to that fulfillment and the Holy Spirit and his role in this period of time, the proclaimed kingdom, is central. Jesus spoke of him in John chapter 16 and his coming. If you want to turn there, we'll look at some verses in John chapter 16, verses 8 to 16. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment, in regard to sin because men do not believe in me, in regard to righteousness because I'm going to the Father, where you can see me no longer, and in regard to judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. And so the first thing Jesus says of the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will bring conviction of sin. That'll be one of the, it's not that he hadn't, hadn't been doing it in the Old Testament period, but he will be working through the church, through the gospel, in the world to bring conviction of sin. Then in verse 12, he says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. So this other role of the Holy Spirit is he glorifies Jesus. His whole role is to point people to Jesus, to convict of sin, and to reveal and lead us into truth. He worked through the writers of the New Testament to record what we now have in the pages here, the, the teachings of the, the apostles. Inspiration of the Spirit brought these to us. And so the Spirit during this period of time plays a central role. And what's so key in that is for us to grasp, and what I feel is so often, it's maybe more true in the U.S., so I can speak of that, so I won't necessarily speak from my vast knowledge of British church life because I don't know it that very well yet, but I've seen a tendency of individualism and a weak sense of what it means to be the people of God in the proclaimed kingdom, to be the church, to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. Um, in Ephesians chapter 1, and I'll just read these to you. If you want to turn there, feel free. I know I'm going through a lot of verses tonight. Um, but in Ephesians chapter 1, it says of the Holy Spirit that he seals us and that he comes to indwell us in, when we believe. It says, you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who was a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. So when we believe until the not yet comes to pass, he says the Holy Spirit is a seal indwelling us, guaranteeing our redemption until the day when Jesus returns to fully bring in the kingdom. This is all in fulfillment of God's promises in the Old Testament through the prophet uh, Ezekiel in chapter 36. You remember we talked about um, the, the new covenant. And in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 27, he says this. Um, verse 26. First he says, I will give you a new heart 
and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. One of the most significant different dynamics of this period of the proclaimed kingdom that makes it so different, what makes our experiences as followers of God different than the Old Testament believers is the fact that if you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, as these verses say, we're in the new covenant and God's Holy Spirit lives within us to move within us and empower us to live different lives, to live as people under God's rule, and so experience his blessing. It's a completely different dynamic. If we want to look at it um, through the lens of the book of Romans, we're in Romans chapter 8 and chapter 7. We won't go there, but in, in Romans chapter 7 and 8, Paul has been saying his struggle with sin and how he does the things he doesn't want to do and he doesn't do the things he knows he should do, and he just is self-condemned and says, who will basically rescue me? I'm a wretched person. And he says, praise be to God, it's found in Jesus Christ. And he says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. And he goes on to describe how God's given us his spirit, and as we, we live under his rule, the spirit moves within us to obey. And the character of Christ is, is formed in us. And so if we look at this dynamic from left to right, through the cross of Jesus Christ that establishes the basis for all of this, we see the removal of the penalty of sin. Jesus cried out on the cross, it is finished. That allows us to enter into, to be justly received into God's kingdom. But once we're there... The Holy Spirit that he sends to live within us empowers us to live free from the power of sin. Will we do that perfectly until he comes back? No. But if you're here this morning, Mike was talking about we're saved by faith alone, but faith never comes alone. The Spirit of God comes to live within us, and this is why we talk about in our circles gospel transformation, because it's not gospel acceptance. That's the first part of it. But when we actually come and we understand the trajectory of the Bible is to be God's people living under God's rule and blessing. It is the power of the cross, the Holy Spirit working within us in response to his word that we can begin to live free from the power of sin. Will we be completely sinless until Jesus comes back? No. But should the trajectory of our life and the ups and downs be that we're sinning less Yes, that's gospel transformation. That is the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the gospel that we need to see. This is what's available to us right now and what we are to be proclaiming to the world, as Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations until he comes back and we are ultimately free forever from the presence of sin in this world. And so that is the the trajectory, that is the proclaimed kingdom. We're in the tension of the now. It is here. The reality of that is we can begin to experience some of the, the benefits and realities of the kingdom now 
through the Holy Spirit and in the church. But it's not yet that we still live in a broken world, that we still struggle with sin, that we are to long for the day when Jesus comes and brings the kingdom in its fullness. And so this is what we have. This idea, when we looked at the present kingdom, that, as we said earlier, God's people, God's rule and blessing, God's place, God's king, all finds its completion in Jesus Christ. Now, as we look at the proclaimed kingdom, God's people, well, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says this, of the church, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Now, maybe you remember us talking about some of this with the Mosaic Covenant in Exodus chapter 20, but these are the things that God said of the people of Israel as he brought them out of slavery. He says, you are a holy nation, my special possession. Why? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. God in the church. This is what it means to be the church. The people of God. Chosen people. Living under God's rule and blessing through the Holy Spirit. That it is as we respond to the Holy Spirit, as we read the word that the Spirit has given us, as he reveals God himself, his purposes, his ways, as it's a mirror into our own soul, into our own actions, and we see where it's not in alignment, and we confess, and we don't say, God, I'll do better. We say, Lord, I'm weak, I'm broken, I am a sinner. Holy Spirit, please fill me by your strength, by your power. Do this work in me. It's not completely passive, but it's not something we can do on our own. There's a dynamic in that. And so the new covenant of living in the new covenant through the Holy Spirit. Again, God's place, the church. The church is meant to be, and this is what I mean, I think sometimes we don't have a high enough what's called ecclesiology, the view of the church. What does it mean to be the church? If we understood what it would mean to be the church, we would understand it's not simply a club from which we come and go or an event to which we show up. It is being, it's an identity, and it is a lofty, um, wonderful thing. You remember the... the pattern of the kingdom we saw that god created a place where people could live in perfect relationship with him and with one another now i've been in church ministry for 20 some odd years now and i can tell you not every church is a place where we experience perfect fellowship with one another and perfect fellowship with god however i know that in my experience of what it means to be a follower of jesus is that God has used the body of Christ in, in my life, and I, I do have a longing for his kingdom more, even as we refine one another in all our imperfections, living under his lordship. And this is our identity. Listen in, again in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, he says this. He says, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. This is all we've been talking about. With Christ Jesus himself, the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord, and in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. What does that all mean? That as varied 
and broken as we are, that as we respond in faith to Jesus Christ and he brings us together into this entity called the church, that he is supernaturally at work through his Holy Spirit in us to be a place through which his presence is made known in this world, that his kingdom is proclaimed because he is our king as we live under his blessing in his place. Anybody know what this place is? What's that? Yes, the new American embassy in London. It made me think of a story that I heard about a former Secretary of State of the United States. His name, I think, I think it was Edwin Meese back in the 80s when I was a little boy. And there was a, um, someone being appointed to go out to the world in the uh, diplomatic corps of the United States, the State Department, and he showed them a map of the world, and he's, he welcomed them into his office, and he says, no, show me your country. And the person inevitably went to the map, went to some place in Asia or Africa or South America, or he up and put his finger on the map, or her finger on the map, and he says, no, 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 let me remind you, this is your country. And he put his finger on the United States of America. And the reality is, Every single embassy around the world, I could have put up a picture of the British embassy in Washington, which is very beautiful and nice and all these different places, but we know what embassies are. They are representative outposts of a foreign power, that they are literally sovereign territory of another nation within, you know, the, the geographical footprint of, a, of another nation. And the whole point of them is to represent and to have on display the values and, and policies and different things of the country that they represent. And in a very real sense, that is a wonderful way for us to think about the proclaimed kingdom and the church and the role of the Holy Spirit in us. What is the church? At a local level, Churches are outposts of the kingdom, the proclaimed kingdom that's coming. We are meant, I've heard it put this way, to serve as a sample and a signpost. A sample, however imperfect it may be, of that kingdom life that's coming, of restored fellowship with one another and with God, free from the presence of of sin as we live more and more free from the power of sin. Will we get it perfect until Jesus comes back? No. But there should be a sample of it here. A sample of that transformation that comes via the Holy Spirit as we live under the new covenant as the Holy Spirit leads us. And that signpost that when people come to the outpost of the kingdom, the embassy of Jesus Christ in this world, his kingdom, that king's church, that we don't say, yeah, aren't we a great great lot. Yeah, come join us. This is a wonderful place. We have a cafe, but you know, we see, no, it's, it's, we, we exist to invite all people into an ever-growing relationship with King Jesus, is what we've said. We're a signpost that everything that happens, everything on this card <laughs> that we do every Sunday, everything that we do, we're saying, Jesus, his rule, King Jesus, his rule, his kingdom, and we invite broken sinners like ourselves to repent and believe the good news of the kingdom 
and find life and forgiveness to be God's people in God's place under his rule and blessing under King Jesus. So we remember as we began this overview and where we'll be going next week, seeing this come, what we long for, hopefully, I hope this overview and as we move into next week makes you long for Jesus to come. Makes you long for everything to finally and fully be fully under his rule. But the story of scripture from promise to fulfillment finds its complete fulfillment in Jesus. And so until he returns, he says this is the period of the proclaimed kingdom, that we have a privilege of his spirit living within us, of being a part of his body in a local, local church where we can experience that together and grow together, and the responsibility of proclaiming that kingdom because what is the reason for that pause? I didn't share this earlier, but I feel led to share now. The whole reason for that pause is this. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing. They're scoffers. I assume they would scoff, right? And following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, God, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men, as the prophets spoke about. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So this pause, this delay is the opportunity for us as his followers and those who have chosen to live as his king, with him as our king, to proclaim the kingdom because there's still opportunity for people to repent and join us. So let's pray that God would help us to proclaim that kingdom faithfully and well as we finish tonight. Lord, I pray, however imperfectly we uh, made our way through this whole idea of the proclaimed kingdom tonight, that it would at least have scratched the surface and made us think maybe a little more deeply about what it means to live as a follower of Jesus Christ right now. That so often we can get caught up in thinking about what following Jesus means for us and our own response to Jesus and forgiveness. And Lord, we live in a culture where the center of reference is so often ourselves and our own agenda and really Sometimes we approach Jesus as a means of accomplishing our kingdom rather than his. And so, Lord, would you just um, open our eyes to see more clearly the kingdom in all its greatness and how the church, what it means to be the church and to be this place where the Spirit indwells us individually and together and how as we are transformed and serve you and your purposes, longing for your return, 
that we can be a sample and a signpost to the world as we proclaim you, King Jesus, and your kingdom rule. We pray, Lord, that especially during the season, we talked about it earlier just with the Christmas invites and such, that you would grant by your grace that we truly would uh, do that well. And that, Lord, we would use this opportunity that you have granted until you return to see people repent and join willingly to become a part of your kingdom. Lord, by your mercy and by your spirit, please bring conviction, please bring new life, please bring gospel transformation as your kingdom expands, as it is proclaimed through your church, through us, through your people, until you return for your power and kingdom and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to sing now again as Dave leads us and uh, sing about the cross and about Jerusalem. So Dave, please lead us. Great. We are indeed going to sing about Jerusalem as we've uh, studied and read tonight from Acts chapter 2. And I'm just going to read a couple of verses. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And so you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, even Chesington. Let's stand, let's sing. Crowds takes the blood of. Jesus. 
Began this night singing, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. And Lord, I cannot help but think of the old song. It says, Amazing love, how can it be that you, my King, should die for me? Lord, as we think about the price that you paid, that we might be a part of your kingdom, to see how you fulfilled your promise centuries, thousands of years ago to Abraham, that all nations of the world would be blessed. How you brought that to fulfillment in the church of Jesus Christ through the gospel, what he did for us on the cross, and how we long for the day when we see King Jesus return, the new Jerusalem, to be with you, to be with all your people, free from the penalty, the power, and the presence of sin, enjoying fellowship with you and with one another for all eternity. Lord, thank you for a glimpse into that tonight. Thank you for a sample of that as we live together under your spirit and your word in this church and serve you again as we leave this place. Help us to serve your purposes as we understand them even better now, hopefully, to share the good news of Jesus, that we might be that outpost of the kingdom, especially during this season, that you would be using us to turn people to you Grant, Lord, again, repentance and a harvest for your kingdom during the season and through the life of this church and every church in this region and this world that proclaims King Jesus. We ask this all humbly and in his name. Amen. Good night.